good morning. The final part of the memoir is part four. And I have made it to the summit of this mountain. And now we're going down, guys. Um, you ready to go down? Or shall I say deeper with me? Well, stay tuned. Because this is uh, the shortest part of the book. But it's also a, a, a very important period of my life. Um, where I start to piece all the pieces to the puzzle together. Uh, but realizing that my disassembled parts are all over the place. <laughs> so this is not going to be easy. So bear with me, guys. This is a lot of pain and hurt that I'm still dealing with. Um, but it's real. It's my truth. And it's unapologetic. And you know what? Here we go. So the next chapter is The Struggle for Sobriety. I roamed the city, stopping first at Times Square. Then I went to Chelsea. Then I took the train back up to Harlem, trying to keep myself occupied the entire day, desperate for human interaction. I wish it were not this way. I wish I had a friend I could meet for brunch. But I did not have friends. I used to be fine with being alone. But now I was tired of myself. I was tired of not being able to attract lasting relationships. I wanted to change this quality in my personality, but I did not know what to do differently to change this dynamic. Why was I going to Crystal Meth Anonymous meetings when I never had a Crystal Meth addiction in the first place? But it's, that is why I never felt comfortable enough to make friends. Honestly, I do not know where a safe space for an addict like me is. I was over the guilt and fear of relapse. I was over the paranoia and lack of trust in others. I was tired of blaming others for not having the willpower to break the influence of addiction. Gabor Mate, in the realm of hungry ghosts, writes of addiction. The addict craves the absence of the craving state. For a brief moment, he's liberated from emptiness, from boredom, from lack of meaning, from yearning, from being driven by pain. He is free. End quote. I tried slowing down. I tried submerging my mind in schoolwork reading, meditating, indulging in religious worship, anything to take away the urge of feeling addicted and still after six months nothing alleviated my perceived suffering maybe it was not the alcohol that invoked the feeling of powerlessness but my desires losing ground seeking me, sinking me down into the underworld I began to have the worst withdrawal symptoms sweaty palms, irritability not being able to sit still weed slowed down the degree in which I experienced these symptoms but I needed more time to maybe the to maybe the symptoms would go away I had more trust in the process now because I was sick of myself I was tired of feeling powerless I thought about my weed use and how maladaptive sitting alone in my apartment for three days straight closing myself off from the world was I did reach out to an old gay friend Prince and we talked for a couple of hours about life allowing ourselves not to fall into deep depressive states as he tends to be withdrawn as well. It was good to have someone who relates to me. He relates to the debilitating feeling one feels when contemplating to call the weed dealer or not. Though I was not enjoying the taste of alcohol the same way, seeing it now as an expensive habit, nevertheless, I was still drinking, though I told myself it was not a problem. I needed control over my mind. 
and I feared drawing inward, avoiding all social activities. This would be my great fall back into deep depression. I told myself I wanted to see fundamental change to where I would not be able to recognize myself after this experience was over. I was learning to trust that consequences are not the end result, but a part of the whole process. Was I ashamed of my drinking? I guess I would not be doing it if I was, but maybe I live in a culture that accepts shame. Being that I live in a nation full of shame, starting back when we first sailed the Americas. Have I been operating in a program of guilt and shame that have been normalized in society, making substance use acceptable, if not tolerable? Binge drinking was tolerable in the military, and now, living in New York, my tolerance has become maladaptive in my life. How did I manage to stay in a state of alcohol-induced amnesia for over 10 years, slowly losing grip on life? I knew my practices were prerequisites for developing the addiction of character. I was smoking nearly every day and relying on the escape so not to feel all the perplexing feelings that attacked my mind daily. These two outlets of drinking and smoking would suffice for now. Therapy proved to have little effect and I did not like group therapy at all. Maybe an inpatient clinic was the next option for someone like me. Besides, though I smoke weed, I never... I would never allow myself to go into harder drugs. I never tried coke, crack, molly, ecstasy, or injected anything in my arm. I never abused prescription pills or broke the laws to score drugs. I walked around the city streets of Harlem feeling restless like a junkie. So I went to Starbucks to buy a strong cup of coffee to purge this silent agony brewing inside of me. This type of agony arrests the senses in a paralyzing state of contradictions, appearing opposite of the unity I thought I was stepping into. What happened was, though I said I would remain sober, I found it too isolating and attempting sobriety alone. So I started spending a considerable amount of time hanging out around the LGBT center, writing secretly, hoping to make a connection. If I felt up to being in a room full of depressed gay people, I'd go to a 12-step meeting. As I sat in the hallway on a bench, minding my business, half pay attention, paying attention to the staff walking in and out of the meeting rooms, I overheard the sound of their walkie-talkies, which alerted to me that they were being that I was being watched. I checked the time on the phone. It was 3 p.m. I had been sitting on the same bench for a couple of hours when suddenly I came anxious that the staff was now sending coded messages through the walkie-talkies about me. I then had the feeling that they were calling security to call and spy on me while monitoring my movements. Then I started looking up at the ceiling, checking for where the security cameras were, thinking that they were zoning in on, on my computer screen, trying to read what I was writing. I went to the LGBT center often, but I never spoke to people, so I was not, I was not to be trusted and possibly plotting to attack the gays inside in my head. A few staff members were acting strange around me, moving closer to me, stopping and conversing in front of me while never speaking directly to me. They were pretending not to be paying attention, but paying attention. I saw in their eyes that they were now considering me a threat. The energy became too obvious to ignore, though I did manage to get a few hours of writing done before the fleeting paranoia came back. Though I tried to push the irrationality out of my head, the feeling never left. Eventually, I could no longer sit still as the anxiety took over. I allowed myself to feel okay about not wanting to leave that, wanting to leave that space. And I felt powerful allowing myself to remove myself from the situation so that I put myself back into a healthier mental space. I made the determination that I would spend the rest of the day going, doing things sober. I originally wanted to go to the movies 
but missed the opening so I went to grab lunch at a burger and fries joint off Frederick Douglass Boulevard and they so happened to have a draft beer so I figured <laughs> what the heck and ordered two beers. By then, I was committed to enjoying more drinks. I wound up heading to another bar. Then I was fully engaged, spending the rest of the afternoon bar hopping till 1 a.m. See, what started as an afternoon beer turned into evening vodka. And by night, the vodka turned into my shirt coming off, slipping $10 bills down Go-Go Boy's underwears at the club. I wound up drinking at least eight drinks, feeling I was on a mission to destroy my body. Saying to hell with this sober sh... I never had it in me to abstain anyways. I rationalized. I was now in control, strong enough to permit more than a few days of sobriety. I allowed the weed to convince me that my addictive behavior had improved, but all I did was suppress it. Now that I was out of weed, I was dependent on alcohol, like I, like a mestatic, like I had mestatic lung cancer, and alcohol was the oxygen tank. I managed to get myself home in one piece, but I felt like crap. I woke up after a few hours not able to go back to sleep. I thought of my failures of avoiding the temptation for a drink. But now I was looking within and being mindful of the role I played in my own destruction. The sagacity of my willpower was weakening to where I felt insensible to the inescapable struggle between pleasure and pain. That vagabond terrorizing me till I feel devitalized as the prospect of life seems to have turned on me involuntarily, throwing me off from my need of free will. The hell with free will. I curse the day I relay eyes on it, giving it the immediacy required. I hate I never investigated further the difficulties of its limits. I must consider the role it plays in my life. This free will in relation to the implications of operating as a social being in the social sphere. Yes, I want a success. Yes, I want a higher education, the highest income bracket, the most influence in my community. I wanted all of this. Yet the tendency to act contrary to the soul's natural transition, going from what I used to do to something more vibrant, rejuvenating, something less barbarous to... It's due to a bad condition, either a part of or existing separate from my nature. I could not figure it out. I ruled out genetics, environment, or physiology. I appear to be unwilling to give sobriety a try. Why not? I could not live with myself anymore. I was all out of tears and blaming. I wanted to know from God what, why was substance a part of my story? And how do I learn to rewrite the pages to tell a new story, one of victory and triumph? What was so wrong with me that I cannot go a week without staying sober? Why do I get anxiety for no reason and then feel the urge to drink? I figured this way was an inveterate tendency. I figured this may have been an inveterate tendency or a craving, a need to escape selfishness, fear, anything. Maybe I needed to go back to taking my psychotic pills to sleep my life away till my mind is clear. I did not want to stick to a regimen with medication. I didn't want to stop blowing my money away on things I did not need. I did want to stay off the gay apps. What do I need? When will God ever be enough? When? I'm over me now, so I do not know what else to do. I have been on the be my best behavior with people this year. My engagements with negative people has decreased considerably. My crying spells have calmed down to where I have control over how I express myself. My outlook is brighter because I stopped letting people point of view affect me emotionally I, 
I am going in 2019 with old baggage. Okay, I will not go into 2019 with old baggage. This is my life, and I get nowhere crying injustices about it. God deprives us of wisdom and endows us with understanding. I know the plan of God can be thwarted. So I know not to give a considerable amount of energy on any one issue. It will all work itself out in the mystical way that it does. And it does as and it does at its own time, not when I want it to. That seems to be the nature of life and how I understand God. He created the laws of the universe and gives clear guidance for human behavior. So that we may experience the most enjoyable life. How can I say God loves me, but not believe he can bring me out of this? It's blasphemous to God, and I admit even offensive. It is not that God lacks power for not being able to fix me. It is because I never perceive other factors working contrary to the program I had established with God. I assumed I could live my life because I felt I deserved to live and die by my own accord for having been rejected by society. It was my right to drink myself to, into a coma and have sex till my penis fell off. And God would allow this because he knew an escape was an escape from the impossible situation I found myself in. I figured he, God, allowed this provision for giving me such a crappy life. But life is crappy. He places all the righteous in a position where they will not have a chance to look down on other people by first humbling us with destitution, then perpetual insufficiency. My insufficient, my insignificance, however, is not de derived by my condition, but compared to the majesty of God, I'm merely a speck of salt in the vast body of sea. I should not complain about having a hard life because it has kept me humble when I would otherwise boast that God do not exist. And if he did, he surely hates humans. But God do, do not hate. His angelic disciples seem to be unprepared for the responsibilities of having dominion over corporal beings. And I wonder, how is it possible that spirit, that the spirit world does not understand humans when we were humans, when they were humans themselves? Do we, do we forget how humans function when we die? Are we like infants all over again? Why would God put a newly created angel over the fragile lives of humans without giving them the capacity to have compassion for us? I assume these angels have many assumptions about who humans are, and sometimes they assert their personalities in our lives because God apparently has given them unchecked power to frustrate us. This informs me that God is okay with human suffering, but God helps up, help me to understand the evolutionary purpose of suffering when it is enacted through coercion, intimidation, and war. Does God want us to behave this way? And if so, are we ever to understand the spiritual implications and will we learn from our mistakes in this lifetime? This awakening ultimately brings us closer to the power of God and destiny for our corporal beings. I eventually broke down and got in touch with my weed dealer and decided to smoke a blunt with this guy I met on Grinder, who came over high on his mind, out of his mind. He did not have a decency to even take a shower, smelling horrible. And then he thought I was going to have sex with him without protection. Huh. <laughs> he was the epitome of self-neglect and disconnectedness. I had finally integrated my knowing desire for synchronicity. Listen to your heart, Cornelius. Like all the other times you've been led to see the horizon of your troubled past. I asked myself, have I ever attempted monogamy longer than a month? I never attempted going without sex because sex was nurtured, my, has nurtured my sense of entitlement, giving me a sense of premature independence that 
no job can ever suffice. It was a part of my sexual identity to feel free of all attachments, but I was depriving myself of the very thing my heart needed in order to feel soothed. All of my inclinations were addictions generated values, and now I must act by changing how I live, or I will always face the same annoying reflection in the mirror image of my life. Will I finally have the courage to let go and let God? When this grander hookup came out of the shower, he stepped inside the room wearing nothing but a towel, and his body looked good. But everything that glitters is not gold. So I politely told him that I was not interested in sex because he was already high and I needed and needed to sober up before he, we met again. He agreed, and he had let he had agreed that he had let crystal meth control him, and that he understood my concern. So he politely left. I immediately blocked him and swore I would never meet another loser on Grinder, because God was clearly projecting my inner dysfunction for instant gratification by the men I was choosing to sleep with. However, I did not stay sober, but I was I was able to know when not to let it get excessive, and for me this was progress. I have tested the balance of my limitations, and I know that I can go so far with things that I feel attached to. I know. I do not have to believe that addiction makes me weaker and I can regain self-control when I'm ready. I was managing my behavior a lot better and that was different than doing it from a place of fear and loneliness. I dropped most of my former beliefs about my behavior and I realized it was never the alcohol causing my psychic pain, but I needed to get rid of toxic energy built up from past trauma. I am a victor and I was living life consciously and with intent, with good intent not taking myself too seriously when I slipped and went again on my own intent. By being more compassionate to myself, I affect how much alcohol I consume. I learned that addiction is what we tell ourselves. The more positive affirmations I speak to my situation, the more honest and genuine I allow myself to be to me instead of living behind a veil of lies and self-sabotaging behavior. I am still in this body, so I'm human, but being human does not mean that I give in to the fleshly desires. I was honest about my willpower, so why get depressed and hate myself for not staying, staying sober? I am more than a victor. I realized there was no conclusion to this story, no final product to be manufactured by some mechanized design that has already been made by others claiming there is a final condition, a definite result, a finite of number of possibilities, but rather the continuation of the story will be a continuation of new trials and the majestic nature how each problem enables me to discover new paths to take action. Life does not stand still, so why should I? I came to appreciate that God is okay with my mistakes if I am striving to transform them into revelation. The revelation being that God is the all and the all is anything we need him to be. We call the shots shooting illuminations out, touching every fabric of the hemisphere, turning rays into the lamb and using the lamb as the sustenance to enable us to keep discovering, keep acting on our senses, keep feeling through our instincts, using reason as the glue that bonds us to God and somehow that is all right. I got on my knees and thanked God for keeping me because of, I was clearly trying to kill myself. I went out on another binge the next night, drinking more than I ever have. I had two glasses of wine, then two beers at a restaurant, and then after I went to the hangar bar and I had 
a shot of Grey Goose and three beers. After that, I took the train to Hell's Kitchen and stopped inside the Ritz bar and drank more and four more cups of Miller Lite. I did not know how drunk I was, and it was a miracle I was able to take the train home. I seemed not to care anymore. Two weeks had, has passed since I last took my HIV medications, but I was not bothered by any of it anymore. I did not feel emotional or depressed anymore. I did not feel anything at all, and that was a surprising considering I had so much to feel. Tears seeped out when I come across a painful event in my memoir that brings me to tears, but I spend most of my time, days completely numb and unbothered. Maybe I was chronically depressed, or else I would be taking my medications, right? Maybe I did not. Maybe I did want to die, or maybe life is easier, not feeling at all. There seems to have been a fundamental shift in my thinking, and all the previous concerns no longer concerned me anymore. I hoped I was not experiencing last stages of contemplative suicide. I wouldn't like to think that I was happier, and maybe this feeling was happiness. I was not familiar with this new feeling, but reasoned it was the feeling of peace finally paying me a visit. After contemplating my state of being, I decided to take my medication so that I would convince myself that I was not trying to kill myself despite my drinking, not reaching its breaking point. I would, I would know what to do sooner than later, but all I wanted to do now was sleep. As I put the pills to my mouth and the tears began to form in my eyes, I said to myself, you gotta take it Cornelius, you gotta keep yourself surviving. In crisis times, I turn to the philosophers of the past. Voltaire writes in Candid, For is there anything more absurd than to wish to carry continually a burden which you can always throw down? To detest existence yet cling to one's own existence? End quote. To want to die but still love, but still love life because it keeps reminding me that there is something spiritual in rebirth. So, a physical death is not required in order to be at rest. The next day, I was determined to stay sober, but by the end of the evening, I felt anxiety building up in my chest for no reason, forcing me back out on the streets, so I headed to Harlem. While on the train, I could feel the pressure growing up in my chest, nearly putting me in tears as the train got closer to 145th Street. I was headed to the Alibi Bar. Uh, gay bar on 139th Street. I withdrew $60 from my ATM so I would not spend more than intended. The night was fun and cool as people filled the room inviting a redolent vibe into the bowels of this dimly lit neighborhood bar. I got lost in the moment and wound up spending the entire $60. Then I charged my card another $20 preferring to keep drinking. Then I hit some weed given to me by a transsexual woman. All was well and I fell on top of the world, clearly not stressed that that in six months time when my lease is up, I will be taking another big risk and moving out of New York. I felt there was too much temptation that I was never sure I could stay away from and I have the sense to know my limits this time so I put my jacket on and was preparing to leave the bar. The owner poured me another drink on the house and suggested I stay when I really wanted to leave much earlier. It is funny how when people pretend to be your friend so they can use you and drag you down to how they feel on the inside. The next thing I knew I was waking up in, um, in, oh, this is crazy, guys. The next thing I knew I was waking up in the brightly early morning, lying, lying next to a Bank of America building on 125th Street, wrapped in a blue comforter that appeared new. 
I did not stay around assessing the situation, but I realized I had been there for nearly five hours since 2 a.m. I simply got up and walked away, not thinking too much about how I allowed myself to black out on the streets. I walked to a nearby Starbucks, bought a cup of coffee, and headed to Central Park. I do not remember walking the 11, I don't even remember walking the 11 blocks from where the bar was. I checked my debit card charges and saw that there was two declined attempts made to withdraw $40 from my account. Then I saw two charges made at the bar in the amount of $30 that I did not authorize. It all started to make sense that I was played the fool yet again because I let my confidence get the best of me. I did not stress, decided instead to sleep it off. The scary part about sleeping next to that building was that place beside it was a shrine for the dead with the Spanish candles positioned against the wall. I assumed someone died in that very spot. If this wasn't a wake-up call, I do not know how else God could communicate my fate to me. I know something drastic needed to happen, but I did not know what. I still did not want to stop drinking. I decided if I did drink, I would just stay home the next time to avoid being robbed or blacking out again. I was grateful that I was still alive, and it was only by the grace of God the same night I avoided the bar and brought two Modelo beers home and popped one open hoping that it would relieve my anxiety but I felt this intense surge of anxiety hit my chest that stopped me from finishing the entire can I did not know what was happening to me why was I experiencing so much nervous tension why couldn't I enjoy one can of beer I broke down and poured the beer down into the drain as the tears rolled down my face why don't I want to stop drinking I pleaded with God to take this suffering away from me for all once and for all in this what and this is why I'm being tested when will it end, O oh Lord? Why don't I want the best for myself? I cannot figure me out to save my life. Everything has turned upside down. I had nowhere to turn but to sobriety and hope that I am, and I am not bashed in the head on the streets by a pedestrian. A few days went by and I thought of the morning where I had woke up and was wrapped up in that blue comforter on the streets. I cannot help but wonder, was that God? I felt so comfortable, so light, so protected. It was as if I was sleeping on a cloud and waking up from a long dream. I felt God's warm embrace, an embrace I had never thought I could feel while alive. And I knew in that moment that God did love me. I did not question him ever again because it was an indescribable love. I am without words. I met awe by the moment. For the first time in my life, I did not need to rationalize it, but only think of the blue comforter as the God's enclosing arm to show me that he exists and he will always keep me safe. Now I know I needed to spread the word and be a disciple for God because he trusts me even when I don't trust myself. After making it to Central Park, I found a nice quiet spot on a rock to sit by and be with my private thoughts, listening to the sound of the waterfall. I sat for a moment not knowing what my purpose was on that rock, but something inside of me said, be still. Then a strong song came up in me, a tune I had never heard or a song before that I had never heard, but something told me to sing. I surrender all. I hummed the tune till I felt a vibratory energy rising within my soul and the tears began to flow. I surrender all. I surrender all I surrender all I repeated it over and over and I let my memory counter the narrative playing repeatedly in my head 
that I had been defeated. I allowed the remaining doubt fade in into in the twinkle of an eye. I was happy God still trusts me through my this journey, though I had my doubts. He that does not let my disbelief trump my expectations for what he needs me to do for him. I realized he needed only that I show up so he can show out. If this story ends in my favor, where all of my wrongs are made right, all darkness turned into light, at least I had the courage to show up and be present. I am certain that God was with me every step of the way, through every hour, every second, whispering into my ear, I will never let you go. I am so grateful to have this experience of a lifetime, to know that God saw something in a little old me that I could not see in myself. My life could end today, and I will have no regrets, no trepidations, no respite, because I know for sure God is protecting me. And that is the end of that chapter. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. Goodbye.